There are many places in America where you can experience the unknown. Places that are like gateways to the dead, where strange things happen every day. These places can be just about anywhere, from old houses to giant museums. And in some of these places, you can actually spend the night in order to see if you experience the same strange things that have happened to other people. Places like the Monte Vista Hotel in Flagstaff, Arizona, or having a scotch at the bar with a ghost happens every Tuesday. And hearing the ghost bellboy knock on your door and yell room service, only to disappear once you open the door to answer him. These and many other things happen every night at the Monte Vista Hotel. This is the story of the Monte Vista Hotel. Welcome to Origin Mysteries. In the mid-1920s, tourism was booming in the town of Flagstaff, Arizona. The only problem was that they were running out of places for the tourists to stay. So a man named V.M. Silfer had the idea of starting a fundraiser in order to raise the money needed to build a hotel that would fit everyone that came to visit their town. Because of this, everyone came together and voted for an ordinance which established a municipal bond to build the hotel. Within one month, the city had raised $200,000 and were able to break ground in June 1926. The hotel was set to have 73 rooms with a local post office built right inside. It opened for business on New Year's Day in 1927, going by the name the Community Hotel in honor of those who contributed to it being built. The name Monta Vista came from a naming contest in which a 12-year-old won, naming it the Monte Vista, meaning Mountain View. This hotel houses a lot of history for the state of Arizona. In 1929, it held the second female-ran radio station in the world, which was ran by Mary Costigan. KFXY aired three hours a day and was a huge success. On its opening day, more than 400 residents showed up to listen to the broadcast. A few other historic moments were having one of the first self-service Otis elevators and housing the only gambling machines to ever set foot in Arizona. Some of the darker moments of the hotel's history start with the hidden tunnels that go from Northern Arizona University up through downtown Flagstaff. Businesses including the Weatherford Hotel, Babbitt's Backcountry, and Monte Vista have access to these basement tunnels. Rumored to have been created by Chinese immigrants after their cooking and cleaning practices allegedly caused one of the largest fires in Arizona's history that caused a lot of damage to the city. After the fire, the Chinese used them in order to get around town without being harassed by the townspeople. Now the tunnels are used for storage and piping, but throughout the years, many strange things have been discovered, 
including opium dens and moonshine distilleries. In 1931, the cocktail lounge inside the hotel, which was the first speakeasy in the state of Arizona, was breached by police, and a major bootlegging operation was discovered and successfully shut down, only to be reopened when prohibition was ended in 1933. It wasn't until the 1940s and 50s when the first ghost was spotted. Back then, westerns were the most popular kinds of movies in Hollywood, and most were made in nearby Sedona and Oak Creek Canyon. Because of this, many famous movie stars chose the Monte Vista to stay at. Actors including Jane Russell, Gary Cooper, Spencer Tracy, Bing Crosby, and John Wayne. At that time, Mr. Wayne was a huge movie star, so it was an exciting thing that he was actually staying at the hotel. But all the excitement didn't last. You see, John was about to experience the first ghost encounter inside the hotel. One night, as John was staying in room 210, a knock was heard at his door. After the second knock, he then heard a man announce that it was room service. John then got up to answer the door, but when he did, no one was there. This wasn't the only time during his stay that this happened, and every time John would open the door, only to find no one on the other side. After these events, there are no records of him ever staying at the hotel again. It is also said that as you're walking down the hallways of the Monte Vista, sometimes you will see a bellboy walking with you. Room 210 is also one of the only rooms dogs aren't allowed in. Why, you ask? Every time a dog enters the room, something overcomes them and they turn into a ball of furry rage, destroying everything they can in the room. This happened so many times that they had to ban animals from the room. This would only become the start of the hauntings of the Monte Vista Hotel. Soon after the reports of the ghost bellman, tragedy struck the hotel. Late one night, inside of room 306, Two prostitutes were invited to stay the night. Unfortunately for them, it would be the last night of their lives. No one knows what really happened inside that room during that night, other than the fact that before the sun came up, both women were beaten, killed, and thrown out the window. Ever since these events, people have reported strange things inside of room 306. According to room's guests, a lot of people have told tales of being awakened at night for some unknown reason, and then not being able to fall back asleep because of the feeling of being watched by some unknown entity. Male guests have reported being awakened by cold hands covering their mouths and throats, only to wake up gasping for air with no one else in the room. 
this isn't the only place the painted women, as they are called, can be seen. They also have reportedly greeted many guests as they walk through the lobby. Rooms 210 and 306 aren't the only rooms that guests experience the paranormal. Some say that in room 220, the TV turns on by itself and even changes the channel. During the night, you also start to feel more cold hands touching you all over while you sleep. These events are blamed on the meat man, who was one of the last tenants of the room that never left. His nickname came from his odd habit of hanging raw meat from the room chandelier. Not long into his stay, he was found dead. And not long after his death, a maintenance man came into the room to fix a few things. Once he was finished, he turned everything off and locked the door and left the room. When he returned only minutes later, the room was unlocked with every light back on. Also, the TV had been turned on and was on the loudest volume. And on the bed, the linens were taken off and scattered throughout the room. The most active place inside the hotel is room 305. Inside this room is a rocking chair that all throughout the night may move itself across the room. Knocking can also be heard coming from inside of the closet, and some people even see an elderly woman sitting in the chair, staring back at them. Some say the room was once rented out for a long period of time by an elderly woman who enjoyed just sitting in that same very rocking chair, staring at nothing. She soon died in that room, possibly inside that same chair. The hotel has stopped trying to remove the chair, because each time a maid moved it, somehow it would reappear back where it was. If the haunting of the upper rooms weren't scary enough, for some reason, the closer you get to the main floor, the worse the hauntings get. For instance, while riding down the elevator to the first floor, some guests and maids have reported hearing a man asking to which floor they would like to go to, only to find no one else in the elevator with them. There's also been reports, as you exit the elevator, if you look back at the mirror, you can see this man. Once you arrive back to the main floor, other guests have reportedly seen a couple dancing in the cocktail lounge. But when you take a closer look, they aren't actually dancing, but they're floating. In this same area, a man died after a nearby robbery went wrong in 1980. After a group of men robbed the bank, one of them was shot. Thinking it wasn't as bad as it was, they went to that same bar to celebrate. There, sitting at the bar, the man died before he could finish his first drink. 
Now, you can reportedly have a drink with him at that bar with stools and drinks moving by themselves. Some even hear him greeting them good morning as they come in. One of the bar managers says he hears this greeting almost monthly. Down in the basement is where things really start to get strange. Many former and current employees have reportedly heard the crying of an infant baby while being down there. Right as they run to the source of the crying, they always end up finding nothing. More recently, another presence has been reported in the basement. One that causes you to become extremely uncomfortable. And when you turn to look around, you see a shadow of a man, around six feet tall, standing right behind you. These are really the main events that happen in the hotel. There are plenty of other strange things that happen. Like the main lobby phone ringing, but when you answer, no one is there. Or light bulbs sometimes coming undone and falling to the ground. And in the second floor, sometimes a band can be heard playing, but when there isn't one scheduled. And you guessed it, when someone goes to find the band, Nothing can be found. So my question to you is that this Halloween, if you find yourself near Flagstaff, Arizona, would you stay at the Monte Vista Hotel to see if maybe, just maybe, these reports are really true? Midnight, June 10th, 1912. The lives of everyone in a small suburban neighborhood in Villisca, Iowa, will be changed forever. That night, eight people were brutally murdered by what was later known as the Axe Murderer. This is the story of the suburban Axe Murderer. Villisca was a small, quiet town on the southern side of Iowa, a kind of place where nothing exciting ever happened. That would soon change in the early hours of June 10th, 1912. Early that morning, the neighbors of the Moore family noticed something was off. The Moore's house was oddly quiet, with every curtain drawn. This was extremely odd for them considering they had four younger kids they could be pretty loud at times. The quietness worried their neighbor, Mary Peckham, because usually, by now, they had all awakened and started their morning chores. She decided to knock on their door to see if everything was okay, but no one answered. Nervous and worried, she let the Moore's chickens out and called their brother Ross Moore. Once he arrived, he tried to knock on the door, but got the same result. Nothing. He tried yelling to get anyone's attention, but still, nothing came from the house. So he decided to open the front door with the key they gave him, and as he started to enter the home, he could sense something was very wrong. 
and a single sound could be heard from the entire house. Josiah couldn't be heard telling his kids to do their chores, and Sarah wasn't cooking them breakfast as she often did. The really eerie thing was that he couldn't hear any of the children running down the halls or playing. That's when Ross opened the door to the first guest bedroom. There, he found something that would change his life and everyone else in the towns forever. There lay the lifeless bodies of Ina and Lena Stillinger in a pool of their own blood. Horrified, Ross ran out and told Mary to call the police. When they finally arrived, they did a full search of the house. That's where they found the lifeless bodies of the entire Moore family, still in their own beds. The nature that in which they were murdered is almost too horrifying to write, so I will leave most of the graphic detail out. Each member was struck multiple times while they were sleeping in the head with an axe. Leon Stillinger was believed to be awake during the attack. She was found in an awkward position in her bed with defensive marks on her arms. This led investigators to believe she tried to fight back. One of the strangest things about the murders was how each victim was covered with bed sheets or clothing. Every mirror and every window was also covered with what was assumed to be whatever the murderer could find. What is believed to have happened is that on the night of June 10th, while the Moors and family friends the Stillinger sisters started to drift asleep, the murderer or murderers awaited for them in the attic. Two smoked cigarettes were found there. Once the clock struck midnight, the attack started. Josiah and Sarah were the first to get killed. They were attacked differently, with the attacker using the sharp end of the blade on Josiah. He also received the most blows from the axe. Everyone else was killed using the blunt end of it. The attackers then proceeded into the children's rooms. Herman, Catherine, Arthur, and Paul were then hit with the axe and killed in their own beds. The attackers then returned into the master bedroom of Josiah and Sarah's to hit them more. Lastly, they went into the downstairs guest room to then kill the Stillinger sisters. The investigation was very long and confusing. Evidence at the scene had been tampered with due to the scene being open to the public for too long. The police had a large number of suspects. A man named George Kelly was believed to be the killer in the end and was tried twice. George winning each case, making him not guilty. He was a traveling minister that had just gotten to town on the day of June 9th and left in the early morning hours of June 10th. He had had a mental illness, which made the police really question if he did it or not. George became obsessed with the murder, saying that he could even remember either seeing or hearing the murders happen. He then stated in court exactly how he killed the eight people. Next, I will read you exactly what he said in the courtroom. I was working on a sermon, the text of which was, 
slay utterly. I had heard Gypsy Smith preach on that topic. I got dressed and went out on the balcony. I heard a sound like a windmill. I went back to bed again, but couldn't sleep. Then I got up and dressed for a walk, still studying my sermon. At 2.45, I went to the Presbyterian Church. While alone in the church, I heard a voice. It said, go further. I went out and walked to the end of the street, where I saw a shadow which beckoned me to follow. The shadow led me to the rear of the Moore house. I saw an axe on a rubbish sheet. I picked the axe up by the handle. The voice again spoke, saying, Go on, follow the shadow, slay utterly. The shadow led me to the door of the Moore home. Inside, the voice said, Go up. I obeyed the voice. I thought I was climbing Jacob's ladder. I went into a room where four little children were sleeping. The voice of God said, Slay utterly. Suffer little children to come unto me. I answered the voice of God and said, Yes, Lord, they're coming now. I took hold of the end of the axe handle and killed the children. I am sure I killed the children first. Children had bothered me all my life. I think I put the sheet over them afterward. The voice of God then said, More work yet. There must be sacrifices of blood. I followed the shadow into a room where Mr. and Mrs. Moore were sleeping. I worked as fast as I could. I think I killed the mother first. I felt tired. I went downstairs and thought I would find a place to lie down. I saw two girls sleeping in a room. God's voice said, more work still. The words slay utterly were still ringing in my ears. I killed them. I think I put the sheet over them, but I just don't remember. The text slay utterly had been in my mind before the murders, and it's been ringing in my ears ever since. I've had a hard time resisting the impulse to slay. My soul is relieved now for the first time in five years. Even after that descriptive confession, because of his illness, the police couldn't verify if he actually was there or just imagined it. Because of this and the lack of evidence, the jury didn't believe he was the killer, so he was released. Two other serial killers were suspected in the case. William Mansfield and Harry Moore. Both later proved they had alibis, verifying they weren't at the scene of the murders. What gets interesting is the one conspiracy that has been formed. Frank Jones was the senator of Iowa at the time of the murders. Allegedly, Josiah cheated on his wife with one of his daughter's-in-laws. 
The reason being was because Frank had stolen most of Josias' business from him. In retaliation, Frank then hired William Mansfield to hide in the Moore's attic and kill the entire family. These murders are still unsolved to this day, so no one really knows what happened that night. Today you can actually visit the Axe Murder House, as they call it. Some even spend the night there to see if anything strange happens. According to most that visit or stay the night, once you enter the home, a massive negative energy can be felt that's almost overpowering. Every paranormal investigator and medium has described the house as very active by some sort of negative energy. One paranormal investigator was attacked while staying at the house overnight. At one point, a negative presence was felt and a massive scratch mark was allegedly found on his chest. Other things that happen at the house are doors shutting by themselves, furniture moving without anyone there, and voices being heard through different rooms. Lynn Cloud, a former resident of the Moore House, has described many different things that have happened while they lived there. They would hear little girls' voices at night and strange noises coming from different rooms. Their father was once sharpening his knife, and after having some type of pressure overcome him, he then stabbed himself in the hand uncontrollably. Do you think that the murderer of these eight people will ever be found? Was it the minister that finally cracked and decided to kill everyone in the house that night? Or was it Frank that ordered a known serial killer to wait in the attic kill them in their sleep. We will probably never get the answers to these questions, but I can tell you this, if you ever get the chance to visit the Moore Axe Murder House, be prepared, because you never know if you will come face to face with the Axe Murderer. This is Origin Mysteries, Experience the Mysterious. Thank you guys so much for listening. This past week has been an insane roller coaster ride. We lost a family member last Saturday. One of our three dogs lost his battle with cancer. It was one of the hardest things my family has ever been through. Our dogs are as close as we get to kids, so it's been very tough. During this time, you guys broke countless records and kept us in the top 75 of the charts the entire week. I can't thank you enough for this. The numbers were amazing, but also therapeutic in a way that I can't explain. This has encouraged me to make even better content for each and every one of you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review via iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Also, follow us on all social media platforms at Origin Mysteries. 
There you will find extra content and even sneak peeks to the next show. This episode was written and narrated by me, Cameron Rainey. Music by The Haunted Corpse and Loki. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next Monday.